looking at what separates us from uh, other churches in the area and uh, just it's the the power of the Holy Spirit and and we'll be looking at some of that and we are not ashamed of that and so we're gonna we're gonna kind of crack open that this morning looking for that uh, asking God uh, to touch us and you know it's interesting in the tri cities uh, Spring Lake Ferrysburg and Grand Haven uh, we are one of three uh, Pentecostal churches. And then if you go a little further than that, the Lakeshore, we're just uh, part of a handful of churches that, that worship uh, with that expression. And so, uh, so I think it's, ex- uh, it's incredible uh, that God, uh, I believe that God's Word is very clear when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so we're going to uh, look at some of that starting this morning. And uh, our goal in this whole process is to make disciples and uh, to ask God to, to build us up that we could be full of the Spirit, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, experience the benefits of the Holy Spirit, and again, experiencing all that God has for us. And you say, well, why, why you know, the Holy Spirit? Is, you know, why do we have to, to do that? Well, God's Word and His promises are yes and amen. <laughs> They're for today as much as they were for y- as yesterday, and, and uh, they will be the same tomorrow. And God's gifts are so good. And we want to look at those. And, and, uh, but we understand that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, at times uh, people can get squirmish, especially if they're uncomfortable. And sometimes there's persecution that comes when we talk about the Holy Spirit. There's misunderstanding. And maybe it's because of a past experience or because of, uh, of something that, that we're not unclear of. And so our goal in the month of June is to present a clear biblical perspective uh, of the Holy Spirit, a compelling case to, to experience all that God has, and, and then also to take time, carve out some time in our schedules, not only on Sunday mornings, but this next weekend, uh, and then the next several Sundays, and asking God for that we would be able to experience uh, all that He has. And we're going to seek and be asking uh, for the presence of God to meet us. And I want to encourage you this morning uh, to invite your friends Invite your family, um, especially this next weekend, uh, Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday morning. Uh, Tim Enlow will be with us. Uh, he's a nationally known speaker, uh, works uh, or, or speaks primarily on topics dealing with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to have a Holy Spirit conference. And I just believe God is going to touch us in a powerful way. And God is going to move right here uh, in our midst. And, and I'm excited about that. And we're going to learn to daily depend on the Holy Spirit and learn to step out in boldness. And, and the bottom line, my heart for us, is that we would be growing in the Lord. Not just stagnant, not you know, uh, just mediocre, but that we would take a step or two towards our Heavenly Father. And, uh, and we know that God, when we do that, when we take a step of faith towards Him, He will always reciprocate. He always is there, willing to meet us, to greet us. And I want to just say, if you're experiencing a hard time in life, uh, whatever the struggle might be, we need, <laughs> I need, the Holy Spirit. Whether the struggle's big or small, this conference on the Holy Spirit this next weekend is going to be significant in your life. And uh, a precursor to that, on Wednesday night, I want to invite all the families, all the kids. We're going to, uh, I'm asking God uh, for, for just uh, lots and lots of families to join us on Wednesday night from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock um, just to be praying and asking God to do that. And then also um, on your seats uh, this morning, we put a, uh, a prayer and Bible reading guide so we can, uh, as we approach this weekend, that we can be in unity. And uh, the Bible reading side is that uh, we will read the book of Acts together as a church over the next several days. And uh, that, I think there's some power just in that, reading through the early church experience and wanting God uh, to, to move in that way. And then also there's a Bible reading side, and, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about this at the end of the service today. And uh, uh, we're, we're just excited about that. When I talk about growing in God, uh, many times in my life I've grown the most personally in hard times, when there was a struggle, when there was a situation that seemed overwhelming, it was in those times that I would turn to the Lord and press in, and there was I can look back on my life and say, you know, that was a real growth period for me and for my family. 
How many have ever heard it said that the sign of a spirit-filled life is trouble? Has anyone ever heard that before? We talked about that last week at Connect 301, that the sign of a spirit-filled life oftentimes is trouble. Now, some of us experience more trouble than others, and I realize that some of us, it may not be spirit-induced, it might just be some stupidity, and I certainly am a candidate for that at times. But uh, as we are seeking the Holy Spirit and asking God to work in our lives, oftentimes there is opposition that comes, and persecution at times, and, and trouble uh, it can be right around the corner as we are asking God to work in our lives and to move in our lives. Well, just recently, uh, Rick Ebeling and myself, we were, uh, we had the, really a privilege to travel to China and we experienced some trouble of our own. And I've asked Rick to come and this morning uh, we're, we're going to just give a, a snapshot of what happened in China. Maybe a little further, I gave a little uh, piece last week. But Rick, why don't you join me up here? And, um, and we want to talk about the persecution and the trouble that we felt in China. And I'm going to relate that as we uh, move through the service uh, to the Holy Spirit and what God wants, us, God wants for us. And uh, why don't you explain the scope of what our trip was intended to be uh, first and uh, to the best of your ability. Okay. Uh, the purpose of our church was primarily twofold. One was the first part was to bring in Bibles uh, into China. And that was going to take place over about two different days. And then the second half of the, cheer, the trip was to, to meet with uh, the underground church uh, in China and do leadership training uh, and that type of thing, and really be an encouragement to them. So that was the overall scope and, and goal of the, uh, of the trip. All right, and last week, I'll just talk loud. You can get the microphone. And last week, we, I mentioned that as we approached and we started our ministry in China, that almost immediately the worst possible situation that could have happened happened. And why don't you explain what happened to our team first, and then we'll explain what happened to the man after that. Okay. Well, we were on our uh, second day. Uh, matter of fact, we left Monday morning and arrived in uh, Hong Kong Tuesday afternoon. Uh, so it's, uh, you're, we were losing time. Uh, but we decided to make our first run of delivering Bibles that evening. And that went smoothly, no problem at all. Uh, just went right through, and we thought, oh, this is pretty neat. This is... Uh, this is good. Uh, the following day, we got up bright and early, and uh, the goal was to make two or three runs uh, of delivering the Bibles. And basically what we were doing is going from Hong Kong across the border uh, into China uh, through customs, through immigration, uh, and delivering them on the other side. And then they would go to a warehouse uh, to be delivered, uh, to go out into the uh, into the countryside, into the underground church. Uh, the first run went well, no problem. Second run went well, no problem. The third run didn't go so well. And uh, basically what we did is you went through immigration first. The second step was to go through customs. And uh, basically they had a screening machine like you would see at the airport. Uh, so we had suitcases as well as backpacks uh, with the bread in them. And because uh, you don't use the term the Bible or anything like that, it's, we called it the bread. And uh, we were spread out somewhat uh, so that we weren't all walking across together. And uh, we started going through and uh, I think Pastor Ben, you were actually the first one. Thanks. I told, I told people what I thought it was is that we had all these white guys with white legs because we had shorts on and stuff like that. So, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but it might have. But anyways, uh, Pastor Ben went through, and apparently they had signaled him over. And so basically there's a person watching the screen, and then there's two or three other people who are um, assisting that person. And uh, Pastor Ben got stopped first. I happened to be second. Uh, and they basically just signaled you over and said, uh, no holy Bible. Yeah, no holy Bible. yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then there was a total of eight of us. Uh, we broke up into two teams, 
And so there was eight of us in one group and seven in the other. And uh, all of us got stopped except one person. And they uh, took our backpacks, uh, went through our suitcases, and basically confiscated the, the bread. And I think what it spoke to me of is how afraid they are of the power of God's word. That's what it spoke to me. And I think Pastor even said, you know, this is good for China and good for, uh, good for the people. These are gifts. And, and the gal said, that may be true. Yeah. Uh, but it's obviously she was, quote, you know, she was doing her job. And so they confiscated the Bibles and then um, gave us a receipt for the words that, uh, or how much they weighed, actually. And then we were able to go back uh, the next day and retrieve them and took them back to Hong Kong. And that was very hard. Yeah. That was very hard. You know, we sat there in line and waiting for them to unload our backpacks, and it was a helpless feeling. We knew that it was good what we were doing to get the word of God into China. And there are 400,000 leaders that are waiting right now on a list for these Bibles, and we can't get them in fast enough. And, uh, and I, I really felt helpless, just like, man, I felt like immediately in my mind I'm saying, was there something I did to get it going? Uh, it was unprecedented that all the entire team over the period of you know, 30 minutes would have got caught, um, and they had their eye out for us. Because what happened is earlier after our second trip, we didn't know this at this point, but uh, why don't you explain what happened with the van? We, we came through, we loaded up a van in our parking garage. It was so organized, it was cool. We're like, you know, undercover going through. And then we follow this lady uh, up and to the top of this uh, uh, parking garage. And we walk out the door, and there's a van, and these guys waiting for us. It was so cool. And uh, so we loaded up this van and uh, share what happened. It was just, you know, the combination was just devastating. And then uh, what happened with that is apparently the van uh, was, was sighted and was followed. And the van was going to the warehouse on the China side from where the Bibles then would be distributed out into the underground church. So unfortunately, the van got sighted somehow, or they had been watching it maybe, and they followed it to the warehouse. And so the warehouse got raided as well. And they actually held that driver for several hours. Uh, and I think they had asked him to basically leave at that point. Right. Uh, to go, and he was a Filipino uh, by descent. And so they actually revoked the rest of his visa and sent him back to the Philippines. And, and again, it just spoke of, of, and we didn't know that uh, at that time when we were stopped. And uh, matter of fact, I just got a newsletter from Bill Otten, who I was telling you about, and just got it, in, and he was in China as well. And he said there's extra scrutiny going on right now because of the swine flu uh, and foreigners. So there's, they're watching foreigners even closer right now, not only because of the word, but because of the flu. And so he said that was, and so I read that and I thought that might have been a factor as well. But it just goes to show you that there are people who don't want the power of God's word to get into their country. But the reality is it still is. And it's being hindered, but it's not being stopped. Awesome. Thanks, Rick. One of the things we focus on, thanks, Rick, for sharing a little bit. One of the things we, uh, as a team, as we prayed and had a chance to intercede for China, um, I believe it's uh, First or Second Timothy, it says, God's word cannot be stopped. And uh, we just rested on that. And what was interesting, it was a group of pastors and then just a couple business leaders like Rick um, on our trip. And, uh, you know, God's timing and God's favor on us uh, as we participated in that trip, even though our plans got drastically changed, um, God was working in our hearts. As we looked at the persecution that the Chinese people are under, uh, it is very real. Now, from the outside, looking in China, they want to be the superpower. And they do not want uh, a, a perception that they would not be tolerant to the Word of God. So they allow a government-run church. It's called the Three Self Church. They also allow an international church uh, for foreigners within the country. Uh, but you have to have a passport to get in. 
and, uh, and we participated in a service there. But then there's this underground church that in the face of extreme persecution, it is exploding. And there are churches in these huge high-rises of apartment buildings that are just growing and growing. They're running speaker line to the, to the next house, to the next house, up the next floor, and uh, meeting all over China, hundreds of thousands of believers. And we're praying, and you can pray with us, that someday that curtain is going to fall of communism fully, and there are going to be hundreds of thousands of believers, spirit-filled believers, that are going to rise up, and China is going to be a Christian nation, and uh, so that's what we're praying for, and asking God's hand to be upon that. But I wanted to talk about this struggle because the church in China was growing underneath this persecution, and oftentimes in America we don't experience persecution like they do for sure, but we do in our own right. We it it can be uncomfortable to talk about the things of God or or it could you know there's times that that we may back down or be quiet uh, about our faith and I just want to share and just encourage us that we do not have to be ashamed of the gospel we can stand up and we have great freedom. And yes, there may be some persecution, not to the same extent uh, uh, as the Chinese national church or what we experience, but we can stand up and and we can make a difference. And I want to encourage us, all of us, even myself, to make those steps. To when you're talking with friends and neighbors or family members, connect something to about the Lord because you never know when a heart is ready. If, a, if it would have been a Chinese national driving that van that was going back to the warehouse, that Chinese national would have been imprisoned for five years minimum, tortured, uh, interrogated, um, and it was severe consequences. But in that, in that uh, environment, the church is growing. Now this morning, I want us to kind of make a transition because we can think about China and say, man, okay, the, the troubles there, the persecution, boy, you know, that's pretty severe. But I wonder what kind of trouble we're in. What kind of things are we facing? Would it be true of your life? Uh, could someone from an outside perspective look and say, man, they're spirit-filled and, boy, they deal with a lot of trouble uh, that, that is uh, in their life. Would that be true of your life? opposition on all sides as we looked at the book of nehemiah over the last several months we we looked at uh, nehemiah that he was pressed on every side he had a lot of trouble on his way on what god had called him to do we see that in the life of moses and of david the prophets throughout scripture there was opposition the disciples, of course, experienced opposition after Jesus and even during uh, while Jesus was on this earth. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, experienced great persecution and, uh, and trouble. And, uh, you know, taking a stand for uh, the faith and sharing faith. And, you know, I was thinking that, you know, we may not experience that same sort of persecution. But there is trouble. There are struggles in our, li- in our lives that is real. In that sometimes that it can be a financial struggle as we're pursuing God's goals for our lives to live, uh, you know, is to the best of our ability uh, according to God's scripture financially, and there can be some struggle there. Maybe physically we've got a goal in our life, and and maybe there's trouble all around us that 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 is tough that would keep us from attaining our goal or to to do the things that we know we should do. And then, of course, emotionally and spiritually, uh, our growth, uh, there can be trouble along the way as we pursue God, saying, God, we want to be separate. We want to connect with you and connect with, uh, each other, with others and connect with the world. And, uh, you know, as we would look at our lives, all of us, at some point or another, and I believe even right now there are many that are experiencing great, uh, great need in our lives. As we examine uh, our lives, we could say that we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit to be alive, to be active in our lives. We need something beyond the natural. We need something beyond what the world can offer. We need something supernatural uh, if in the presence of God if we're going to make it or if we're going to be effective in, in our walk. And there's a great prophet uh, in the Old Testament that really 
was consumed with the supernatural. And we, as you follow his life, um, there was components seen throughout his life uh, of the supernatural. And that's the prophet Elijah. And for those that have been with us over the past month, we've had a couple guests in my absence, and then we had another, uh, Kevin Prinz, a missionary, uh, speak. And uh, Dean Elliott and Kevin Prinz both talked about the prophet Elijah. And I thought it was interesting how uh, totally uh, two weeks in a row, how God allowed the story of Elijah to be presented here and to, to challenge us. And so I've been looking at that story and, and asking God, God, what do you have for us in that? And what's interesting, in 2 Peter verse one, or chapter 1, verse 21, it talks about that the prophets were inspired and they moved, they were moved by the Spirit of God. And what's interesting is that Elijah, he was obedient to the Spirit's moving, to the Heavenly Father uh, working in his life. And what we saw is that when Kevin Prince was here, is that Ahab was persecuting the church pretty severe, and we're going to look at that in just a second. But Elijah was willing to speak the truth. He humbled himself, first of all, allowing himself to be blessed by a woman, a widow, and, his, and her boy. She... God allowed uh, Elijah to be used to raise this little boy from the dead. And today we're going to look at the story of Mount Carmel and what happened there. But then Dean Elliott came and he talked about that we need to be in a place individually where we are totally dependent on God. Where there's nothing that would keep us from God. That there would, the pride would go down. And he talked about that, that place of total dependency. And I hope that we're there. I, I believe that God is calling us to that place where we cannot do it on our own. And what's interesting is that Elijah, he needed the Holy Spirit's power in a desperate way in the Old Testament. He was facing extreme persecution, very much, as I've read through that, like the Chinese church. In fact, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 16 is, uh, is kind of where we'll start. We, as we look at the story, um, when Ahab became king of Israel, uh, verse 29, in the 38th year, uh, King uh, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. In verse 31, it says that uh, or, I'm sorry, in verse 30, it says, Ahab, son of Omri, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the kings before him. That's pretty significant. Because when you look at what the kings did before, it was pretty bad. And so Ahab was even worse than that. And then verse 31 says, He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, uh, but he also married Jezebel and began to serve Baal and worshipped him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal and that, was, that he built in Samaria. Verse 33 says, Ahab also made an Asher pole and did more to provoke the Lord and the God of Israel to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. This was one bad dude. King Ahab was very, very evil. And what was worse, he had a wife that was very controlling. And, uh, and we'll see in chapter 18, verse 4, look what it says there if we skip forward. It says, while Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, it says, while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Jezebel was uh, equally as bad wanting to kill off the Lord's prophets, God raised up Obadiah who was in control of the, uh, of the palace for Ahab. And he began to hide. He, take, he took a hundred prophets uh, and he hid them in two different caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. And so God, uh, in that moment, provided a, 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 an overseer uh, to help in, that, in those things. But the trouble was severe. In, verse, in chapter 18, uh, verse 17 and 18, look what it says when Elijah finally met Ahab. He says, when, Elijah, or when, he, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? 
And listen to Elijah's response. He says, look, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. This was a time of great need for Elijah. The pressure was real. The need for a move of God was real. And in that moment, as we continue to read through that story uh, in chapter 18, which we're going to do in just a second, we're going to see the response that God gave when Elijah was seeking God's face at that moment. And I want you to write in your Bible, or uh, if you're taking notes, write this and circle it. The response to Elijah's great need was fire. And we're going to look at this story. And uh, we'll, um, in fact, uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's uh, some copies in the back on the tables. And you could uh, stand up, and we're going to read a lengthy passage here. I want to make sure everyone's following along. Uh, let's, let's do that. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19. And let's read this, um, and you can follow along. It says, Now, now summon the, uh, the people. So this is after Elijah's met uh, Ahab. And he's telling Ahab, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asher who eat at Jezebel's table. So friends of Jezebel, his wife, saying, Hey, come on out. It says, So Ahab sent word through all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? So at this point, Elijah is standing alone, the only prophet of God we'll see here in a second, and he's talking to a thousand people or more probably, and he's saying, why do you waver between two opinions? He says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now the people at this point, the Bible says, said nothing. They stood there, dumbfounded. It's interesting. You can almost imagine they're looking at each other saying, hmm, he might be right. We should follow the true God. In verse 22, it says, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 uh, prophets, and so get two bowls for us. Let them choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but, do, or, but not uh, set it on fire. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, uh, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of, the, of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. I want you to, if you're, uh, if you're following along, circle that in your Bible, underline it, highlight it, whatever you want to do there. But, uh, but that's an important piece. It says, then all the people said, what you say is good. So they like this. They like the challenge. They're saying 450 to 1, our odds are pretty good. And at this point, it says, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light it on fire. So they took the bull given to them and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah, full of the Spirit of God and maybe a little bit of, uh, um, I don't know, just fun inside of him, says, Shout louder! Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears. The first sign of cutting in the Bible, right? Uh, they, they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. This is a mess. 450 people uh, calling out, shouting. The sight must have been incredible. It said midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Verse 30, the story changes. It says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, 
and he repaired the altar of the Lord. He took his time. that It was ruined. And it says Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descri- or, uh, tribes descended from Jacob, uh, to whom the Lord, uh, to the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be called Israel. And then it says, what, With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two says of seed. And from what my studies, it's about 13 quarts of water uh, the, the trench was. And so a significant amount of water. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the, w- the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering. And what's interesting, um, I didn't realize this, uh, but Kevin Prince brought out in this particular story, is that pouring water was a slap in the face to the prophets of Baal because Baal was a god of water and of fertility. And, uh, and it was a really interesting uh, aspect that I think was really interesting. I've taught this story in kids' church before, never, never had uh, realized that. And so they poured water. And then he says, do it again, he said. And they did it again. He said, do it a third time, he ordered. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trenches. So there's this altar of wood with a lamb on top, a trench around it with water in it. It's saturated, it's soaked. And at that time the sac- uh, of sacrifice, verse 36, it says the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. You know it had to have been silent. Or if anything, there was people murmuring like, what in the world is he going to do? How is this going to work? You know, what in the world is... Is Elijah doing? Has he lost it? But he steps forward, and I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, O Lord, a simple prayer, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He says, Let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then in verse 38, again, I want you to circle or to to highlight. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and called and cried out to the Lord, He is our God, the Lord. He is God. In the midst of great need, Elijah needed a miracle. He had already experienced a supernatural. He had already, with God's help, raised a little boy from the dead. They had lived on uh, a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil that had lasted, the widow. And God, God had provided. But Elijah, at this point, needed something powerful. And God sent fire. Now, I want you to fast forward to the New Testament with me in Jesus' day. Now, Jesus knew the need of his disciples and his followers. And what's interesting, in all four Gospels, there's a promise. There's a gift promised for us that relates to this story, I believe, in 1 Kings. John the Baptist is, uh, in fact, turn with me to to Matthew chapter 3. We'll start there. Uh, John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. The people are saying, are you the Messiah? And John the Baptist says, no, I am not the Messiah. In fact, and we'll look at uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. It says, look, I am baptizing you with water for repentance, John the Baptist says. But he says, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not fit to carry. And it says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Luke chapter 3, verse 16, same exact account, but we'll read it. Uh, Verse 16, Jesus, or I'm sorry, John answered them, same question. They're saying, look, we've been awaiting, wondering, are you possibly the Messiah? And John answered, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come whose sandals I am not fit uh, uh, worthy to untie. And he says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
You can look in Mark 1.8, in John 1.33, uh, in both of the other Gospels. And in those cases, it says, we will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It eliminates the, the fire part. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit that was going to come after Jesus ascended to heaven was a fulfillment of the prophecy, a promise that God had pour, would pour out His Spirit on all people. We see that in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3, and then two times in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36 and 39, and we better not take time to, to look at those, but you can write those down, or if you want to look at those later, I can get those to you. But what's interesting is that John the Baptist adds that not only will the Spirit be poured out, that they would be immersed or saturated, consumed by the Spirit. And he uses this term that they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now I've often wondered why not being filled with the Holy Spirit in water? Or filled with the Holy Spirit in wind. Well, if you can imagine this um, guitar up here, okay, that Dale plays. If this guitar here was, uh, you know, thrown into the ocean, it would get saturated, right? And uh, it would, uh, it would, you know, the water would absorb, and and it would, the wood would, you know, eventually rot away. But but you would still have a guitar. Uh, we see that uh, in sunken ships there's you know treasure that doesn't it may be uh, full with water but but it's not destroyed all right if a wind came through picked up this guitar and whipped it around and and smashed it on the walls they would be pretty upset right but uh but if that happened there still would be pieces of the guitar that were you know that we could probably find and that we probably couldn't put it together but it would you know destroy and, and bust it up but when the if we set this guitar on fire, it would be consumed and it would be gone. <laughs> it would be taken up and there would be just ashes that the wind could blow. Fire consumes. When John the Baptist said that there, there would be one that would baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire, we're talking about this need that God, He can consume us with His Spirit. No matter what we might be facing in life, God, when we allow Him to, He will answer us with fire. The same Holy Spirit that is seen throughout Scripture, from Genesis through Revelation, is alive and well today. And if we allow Him, if we invite Him, the Holy Spirit will help us no matter what we're facing. And what's interesting is others will notice. They'll say something's different about you or something's different about your family or, or what is that? And I want you just to flip with your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 real quick. I've often read this in the light of persecution because persecution will come as we step out and uh, obey God and opposition and trials will come. But in the Sermon on the Mount, we've looked at this before, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What's interesting is that he combines being persecuted with rejoicing and being glad. In my natural mind, that does not connect. And maybe in your mind, it doesn't connect either. The only way I believe that it can connect is with the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. And it's through the Holy Spirit's power that we can face trials, we can face struggle, whatever God would throw, or whatever the devil would throw our way, and we can face those things with joy and gladness. We can rejoice and be glad. And I believe God wants us to do that. And like I said, others will notice when Elijah was working and uh, moving uh, before he was caught up to be in heaven. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, Elisha, his sidekick, 
He noticed what was happening in Elijah's life. He had watched the miracles and the supernatural that was happening. And what did Elisha ask for? He asked for a double portion of what Elijah had. He noticed that Elijah had something special. And he's saying, you know, I would like to have that. And I'm interested this morning, how many of us, like Elisha, would read a story about Elijah and say, man, that power, that, that fire from God that God sent, I want that. I desire that in my life. How about you? What questions come to mind when we talk about the Holy Spirit? There might be misunderstandings from past experiences. Maybe there's things in your life that you're holding on to that are not allowing you to experience all that God would have. Are you holding anything back? When we talk about the consuming fire of the Holy Spirit, is that something that you desire? Or maybe it's just something that you have questions about. Or maybe it's something totally foreign. This could be the first time you're hearing about that. Maybe you think, man, that's scary. (laughs) The fear of the unknown. Or, Or if you're honest, you're saying, okay, that's just weird that the Holy Spirit would move like that, that He could consume us. But I just want to encourage us this morning that living in the presence of the Holy Spirit, living in the power of the Holy Spirit is an exciting place to live. And I believe God wants us to live in that. One commentator, his name is Barkley, a really well-known guy, he said this. He says, if your life is drab, inadequate, futile, or earthbound, he says, it is because you have neglected the Holy Spirit and failed to enter into the sphere of life dominated by the Spirit. That's an interesting quote. If your life is dull, if your life is meaningless, maybe you're not tapping into all that God has for you, the power of the Holy Spirit. And James, James says, is anyone in trouble? And I would ask the same thing this morning. Is there anyone in trouble? Anyone up against a struggle in your life that maybe seems... Uh, too great to overcome on your own strength. Your struggle could be small, it could be large. It could be sin in your life and maybe an addiction. Maybe it's finances and, and maybe you're, you're just seeking God and saying, man, I've got this money, I want to invest it, where is the best place? And, and asking, you know, I believe the Holy Spirit can help us in our finances. Maybe it's in your marriage and you're saying, man, we are struggling. On the outside, we may look like we have it together, but man, if you saw us at home, it's like World War III. And I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit can help in your marriages. Maybe it's raising your kids. You're saying, man, Lord, I need help. And uh, how many parents would say that raising kids is not easy? Sure. We're saying, God, help us. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants us to be moving in Him, and He will help us in those hard times. The Holy Spirit is alive. He's active. He wants to move. And we come back to this idea of persecution. You know, Paul and the disciples, they experienced pretty severe persecution most of the disciples lost their life for the sake of the gospel. Some crucified upside down. But what's interesting, as they were persecuted, in Acts chapter 13, verse 52, it says that Paul and the disciples, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were filled with joy. There was a peace, a joy. See, persecution and trouble only made them press on with that same joy. It's similar to the Chinese church that's growing, the underground church. They are experiencing extreme persecution and have for years, since the late 70s. And probably even before that. But in the spite of that, that joy wells up within them. In the stories we heard of these 
great Chinese leaders and the sacrifices that they're making is pretty incredible. You know what? When we're in that kind of persecution, when we're up against that trouble and the Holy Spirit is working in us and the fire of God is, is directing and leading and guiding, it is contagious. Acts chapter 16, verse 34, the early church, they were, it was growing and they were experiencing that. They, the joy that came was contagious. The early church wanted everything that God had to offer. And this morning, I want you to know that my heart, as your pastor, is that we together would experience everything that God would have for us. That we would desire everything that God would have for us as families, as individuals. That our kids, our teens would experience God in a real way. Over spring break, Jessica and I, we were at a hotel. And we had had a great day. And uh, that night, Jessica got sick. And uh, pretty sick that it happened before. And we've had to take her into emergency. And it was kind of coming to that point again um, that night. And what was interesting is that as Jessica was in the bathroom and I was kind of out with the kids, I said, Reagan, Logan, we need to pray. And what happened is as we prayed, God met us and gave us a peace that Jessica was going to be okay. We ended up taking Jessica in. But what I want you to see is that it can happen naturally. It doesn't have to be weird, the Holy Spirit's power. Jessica was in the bathroom and kind of moaning and groaning, and we were like, oh, Lord, help us. And as we prayed, Reagan, my daughter, started praying in the Spirit uh, in her heavenly language. I knew she had been filled with the Holy Spirit at camp, and I didn't know how often she prayed in the Spirit or not, but, but I'll tell you, it was in that environment that God strengthened our family, and it was, it was powerful. As we prayed and went around, and, and we were able to look back and say, you know, God touched Jessica. God helped her in that moment. But it was so cool because our kids, over this next month and over these next years, God wants to touch our kids. He wants to touch your teenagers with the power of God, with everything that he has to offer. How many would, if you had a choice between a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a full steak dinner, would take the steak dinner? Probably most of us, unless you don't like steak or something. But so often we settle for peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) It's okay. It'll nourish us. It'll get us by. In college, you eat a lot of that, right, Alicia? But how much greater to experience all that God has for us. Church, we need more of God. And we can't be ashamed of our expression or our experience because there's joy that comes, there's power, there's purpose that comes when we seek the Holy Spirit. And I just want to challenge us that as we, as a church, consider what our greatest needs are, whatever the struggle, whatever the trouble, I pray that instead of turning to human knowledge, human wisdom, that we would turn to the Holy Spirit and ask for his help. I want you to find your copy here. There's uh, copies, you know, every few chairs, and if there's not enough, there's a few up here that you can grab um, before you leave. As we conclude our time today, I want us to leave with an expectancy that God wants to move here at the Gateway Church over these next several weeks. And one of the ways that we will be in unity as a church is if we commit together to some Bible reading and to some prayer. I mentioned Wednesday night, and I just can't overemphasize uh, the coming together, and I want to encourage you to be out on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We'll pray from 7 to 8 and get you home. Although, you know, kids are out of school, so it's not as critical. Um, but, but 
our family will be here and uh, bring the kids. We're not going to really have child care, but um, it'll be, we'll have some music on and the kids can participate, pray, color, whatever they want to do. But each day, starting today, I'm asking that families, individuals, teenagers, um, that you would commit with me to do some Bible reading, to read the book of Acts over the next seven days. Uh, each day there's a few chapters to read, and then there's a prayer focus and some questions to consider personally. Um, these questions will challenge you as we prepare for this weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday. And uh, I'm just asking that you would commit uh, to do that with me. There's something to be said about being in unity as a body of believers. And it says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But that comes when there's unity, like-minded individuals coming together for the same purpose. And we want to be clear and upfront right at the get-go. We want a move of God. We want to experience all that God has for us. I desire that for my family. I desire it for me personally. But I desire that for your families your kids. And, uh, and I just believe God is, uh, is, is shaping these next few weeks to be very, very significant in the life of the Gateway Church. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning, and I'm just going to pray a simple prayer uh, in just a moment. But uh, before we do that, uh, and before we head out for the day, um, if you're here this morning, as we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and, and uh, that maybe new information, if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with God, you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, or maybe you've fallen away, maybe you, were, you served the Lord at one point, but, but you're not today, I want to invite you to, uh, to respond in this moment just by slipping up your hand saying, you know, that's me. Um, pray for me, Pastor. And, I, and we'll do that. And I've got some resources I can get, get to you. We can pray together. But is anyone here this morning saying, Pastor, that's me. In this moment, I'm realizing I need Jesus. And, uh, and I need him in my life. 